And we are live for the First Strike Podcast. This is a KYT, digital content manager, faceofacegames.com, with my usual crew, Andy and Elliot. But before we start the show, got to plug our sponsor, faceofacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This week is part two of our Halloween sale, up to 50% off select singles. So just click on the front banner on the Face to Face Games store page, and you're going to check a lot of savings. I think Snapcaster Mage, Chalice of the Voids, a lot of staples are... Um, discounted by us for this week. On today's show, we've got multiple special guests, multiple of them, three of them, at least three. Uh, we don't know who might show up. Maybe Shaheen's going to pop in. But our first guest is someone who just qualified through Arena. So he qualifies for uh, the next MC in, in uh, 2020. And not only that, he's someone that uh, my friend David Rude has been hyping. He's like, uh, you got... A couple of me- months ago, he, he was like messaging me. You got to keep, don't just talk about the tech of Dolly Wall. There's this other guy that you should keep your eye on. And that is Isaac Krutz. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> There's a lot, lot of hype from David, but let's just go back from, from the beginning. Because he told me that uh, you're from Russia. So let's go straight from the beginning. What, how did you get started in, in Magic? Yeah, so I started playing Magic seven years ago. My first DJ event was Return to Ravnica Pre-release. And a friend of mine just told me about the game and they learned the rules together. And that's how I got started. I really liked it from the start. How was the competitive scene like in Russia? Was it very competitive? Were you going, traveling to different qualifiers or different GPs? Uh, It's really hard outside of Magic, I would say. Like I had to travel to PPTQs, six, seven hours drives. I did a few times, but it's really hard. How did you keep doing it then? Were you playing more online or yeah. did you, okay. So Magic Online was the only way to keep playing competitive events every week. So that's what I, that's what I did. Okay, so that's why you were able to, to keep your skills sharp. Yeah, and that's how I qualified for my first two PTs. Ooh. Playing Magic Online, yeah. Uh, what kind of tournaments did you win? And how long, uh, how long ago was it? Uh, PTQs. So the first PT was Magic Origins okay. four and a half years ago. Okay. This and is where Elliot, Elliot's going to make fun of me, but I was there. Sweet. <laughs> I could have met you there. Okay, what's the next yeah. one? And the second one was I, I played, I won a PPTQ in Russia, and I won top eighted RPTQ online. Oh, sweet. It, it, it was BT Kaladesh. Sweet. You got, got to appreciate the grind, right, Andy? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I can only imagine when you're, like, not really close to a lot of events, keeping yourself uh, motivated to, to play a lot of competitive magic. It's got to be gotta be pretty tough. Like, sometimes I felt like I have it bad because I'm, like, two and a half hours to Toronto and two and a half hours to Montreal. But in the grand scheme of things, it's, like, pretty great. Yeah, I mean, I felt like part of the reason I kept playing was just seeing you a lot, Andy, Scotty, and everybody, and and to be six and seven hours from every important tournament, it's pretty rough. Um, but but Isaac, what what brings you to, to Canada now? I think I heard from from David you moved here a year ago. I think. Uh, no, I'm here since I'm here for three years now. Okay. I graduated from high school in Russia, and I started in college here. Sweet. So was it easy to just jump into the uh, local magic community here? 
Uh, yeah, when I came here, I was quite surprised. You can play two PTQs every week, every weekend. <laughs> so different. Yeah, and and did you instantly become friends with the with the current people of, of Team Harry T, like the the Sean Dhaliwal, David Root, Jake uh, Sang, or or who were your initial friends uh, here? No, I I didn't play a lot of Magic during my first two years of college. Okay. I just played a few events like nationals or GP Toronto, and I met everybody after GP Montreal last year. Like locally or at the GP itself? I played against Andrea Bella, my teammate now. Okay. And we got to talking and to learn I'm also from Toronto, and I met all the people through him. Okay. Yeah. How, how did you make it as part of uh, Team Harry T? So I think David Rood was watching my round 14 at GP Montreal. Okay, well. Against uh, Abala. It was a really long match. It ended up in draw. So I think he was impressed by the way I played and he invited me to a team. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, you were doing some, some scouting. Um. <laughs> And from then on, you just like just play with that group for for I guess the past year. And um, how how much have you been playing in the last few months? Were you grinding pretty hard to make sure you you hit that mythic level to be able to qualify for this online qualifier? Yeah, so I've been traveling with them at the beginning of this year, like six months. I went to a bunch of GPs and SCG Opens, but since GP Detroit, I wasn't. I wasn't playing as much and like I really play less later so I just happened so that I qualified. <laughs> so what, what was your thinking about the format heading into uh, basically the standard format where, where everyone on Twitter is complaining about Oko? Uh, where was your head at? How was your preparation? Uh, which deck did you select and why? Uh, I didn't play as much standard before a tournament. I like start played the first game of standard like a week before MCQ, MCQ weekend. And I just played a few games with different decks and settled on band. So you were doing the best with band. Anything special about that list? Did you get it from, from someone somewhere? Yeah, because I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. I was looking for deck list with a cyborg guide and I, <laughs> and I found Martin Hughes' article on Channel Fireball. So I took a list, I changed a few cyborg cards, left the same main deck, all 60 cards, and it worked out. Was, did you feel it was pretty powerful or did you, did you think you got lucky a lot? How did the deck feel at, at the end of the tournament? I felt like I got lucky with the choice because I didn't expect that many noxions, noxion grasps in the main deck. I was really surprised after I saw deck lists after they won. But I felt my deck can go over the top with Agents of Treachery and more ram spells so you can curve out more consistently and just play bigger crises which attack which can pressure your opponent's placewalkers quite nicely. Mm, that makes sense. Um, 
were the matches you, you didn't want to face in particular, or did you run into difficulties uh, throughout the weekend? I'm sorry? Well, were there any matchups that you did not want to see, and then may, maybe you uh, were the reasons for some of your losses over the weekend? Yeah, I lost to two Gruel decks in day two, in my first two rounds of day two. They curved out Pelt Collector into Crawlhard Pooner, my Gilded Goose on the play. <laughs> but it didn't feel very good. It's probably not a great matchup. But yeah, I didn't feel like any matchup is particularly bad. Okay. So what, for people that, that still have standard tournaments left, you would recommend the Juzo list with, with maybe your changes for like this upcoming weekend? Uh, I don't know. I think Soul type deck might still be better. Okay. Well, just why did you just play that? Uh, I didn't know it exists before the <laughs> tournament. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Elliot, Elliot, how, how was Soul type for you? Well, Car, I only cast Noxious Graphs twice in game ones, so I could have just been playing whatever. I pretty much like sideboarded all the black cards out in like four of my rounds, but I did I did qualify for the the P, the WPNQ finals. So I I've been kind of like you know messaging various people and seeing like how much I get to complain versus like winning the tournament, quote unquote, versus my my pre sideboarded deck didn't pan out because I didn't play any Oko mirrors, so it's like how much complaining do I get to where I win, but also it's because I didn't play any good decks. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've personally landed on the side of I get to complain a lot. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to hearing you rant. Um, we had talked about last week, WPN qualifier number one had 35 people, 30 this time. Uh, you get in, and, and then we, we took a quick scan of the room. There weren't that many Okos, and, and I mean, you hypothesize it's it's more of a card availability or affordability thing because I, there wasn't that many copies. Like, you were one of the few people playing the quote-unquote best deck uh, in the format. Yeah, I didn't do too much scouting because I, I don't care that much. It, it's always kind of wild when I see people running around with like binders and notepads writing out what everyone's playing. But like, I didn't do that much. But I think I only saw like one other person on Saltai. When I think for like people who were in the know, that deck popped up two or three days prior and and was quote unquote the best deck. Um, so I, I was expecting a lot more of it. That's why I was pretty happy going with Four Noxious Grass. But you know, we we were discussing at the end of the tournament in front of the showcase that you know, face is selling Oko for $90 and like in U S prices, it's like $60. So like expecting someone who maybe doesn't play a lot of standard, but is going to come out for this local tournament to, to drop $400 on Oko's <laughs> yeah. and then, and then $200 on hydroid crisis. It's like, it's a seven, eight, $900 standard deck. It's, it's absurd. So I guess in hindsight, maybe I should have expected less Oko. Yeah. But definitely, like, as we get towards the, the top 32, the finals in a couple weeks, that tournament, I'll, I'll expect a lot more Okos. Right, right. Um, I, I, would, I would expect the same as well. Um, back to you, Isaac. To qualify, you actually did an impressive record, finished with an impressive record on day one. You went 10 and 1, if I'm not mistaken. And but then you start off your day two, 0-2, oh, 
and DRUD tells me that you likely would have to run the table, go 4-0, and hope to get in on breakers. And so I think some people would be in a, uh, I guess, would be maybe a bit tilted. Usually, you know, we've, we've seen it before. I've had friends that maybe started 9-0 out of GP. Great spot to top eight, and then like 06, day two or whatever. But you're at a point where you need to win every game. Um, you know, how were you feeling at that time? Did you do anything in particular to make sure that, you know, you were still keeping your goal in mind to be able to 4-0 those last few rounds and, and, and be able to make it in? Uh, I think then I recently started taking Magic, like, more casually. Ooh. And I didn't feel, like, a lot under pressure after I lost the first two rounds because I didn't expect like to make day two in the first place because I didn't have a lot of preparation. <laughs> yeah. So you were pretty relaxed and even the last round, like last round, one more win, you're like 3-0. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the last round was exhausting. What were you against? I played against Timur Reclamation by uh, Liberato, the winner of the first arena mythic championship i think okay like against him specifically or yeah i played against him in the last round whoa and i think i mean i just saw frank karsten publish an article uh today or, or he tweeted about it and how teamer reclamation was one of the better day two like actually the best percentage wise among the decks that were played a lot so how did that match how did that specific match go for you uh my deck has two Teferis, which is the best card against this deck, probably. And he didn't, he had really slow draws. He couldn't find the uh, reclamation, his top 30 cards. Wow. Okay. So I got really lucky in that match. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. So what does this qualify you for? It's the Arena Mythic Championship in December 6 to 9. Okay, so not even next year. It's already this year, December. Wow, yeah. in two months. Sweet. It's one of the challengers. Um, I'm excited. Um, Andy, you got you got any questions for Isaac? Yeah, sure. So if you had a tournament uh, maybe in two weeks from now, let's call it the Pro Tour, would you play uh, Saltai or Bant? I think I would play Saltai, if you want to see. All right, I guess I'll lock it in. <laughs> Good luck there. <laughs> Andy, where's your head at with, with the results of this? And, um, yeah, what do you well, make of all this? If you recall, my br big brain self was uh, said right away that I thought Saltai was going to be the answer. But, unfortunately, I did not – I wasn't playing four main deck Noxious Grasps, and I – even saw lists with main deck and Noxious Grasp. I was like, ah, oh, that can't be right. And I was playing Assassin's Trophy instead. But my lists were like pretty close to what people ended up playing. But then as you go through the deck lists, Noxious Grasp is just one of the best possible cards in the whole format. It kills almost every single card you care about. And anything it doesn't kill, Oko like neutralizes to the point where it's virtually dead. So I think Noxious Grasp in the main deck is just clutch it, it takes that like green white deck that was like a pretty bad matchup for simic food and now all of a sudden it's just a fine matchup 
And then also like the random Teferis out there out of control decks. Now you just have two mana Doom Blades. So I think I think Saltai is it, and I would be very surprised if I don't play Saltai at the Pro Tour. Elliot, do you have any words of advice from from what you learned? I mean, you didn't really learn much. You didn't play any top decks, but uh, do you agree with this assessment that <laughs> of his uh, card evaluation? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think if you go back and and listen to what the episode we did last week. I think Annie and I both were on the consensus that Saltai was the best deck. And, and I might have actually been advocating for Legion's end at the time because I wasn't quite sold on Noxious Grasp being as, as important and as low cost as it turned out to be. Um, and I think that the big thing with Noxious Grasp that might be going over people's heads or why, why you have a card that's not like a, an absolute zero in a bunch of matchups why it's not just the end of the world is because your cards are so like on rate good like oko is just a way more powerful card than what a lot of people are doing same thing for nissa same thing with hydro crisis that um it's really hard for people to improve post board against you so you just get to gain so much more percentage in the sideboard games against the decks that noxious grasp is bad against decks like uh, one of the decks I played against twice was Jeskai Fires and then an additional time against uh, Grixis Fires. So three of my five matchups, Noxious Grasp did literally zero in game one. I think I, I, think I might have killed a Kenrith and then lost that game anyway. Uh, but in, in the sideboard of games, I got to add things like Casualties of War, Tamiyo, Counterspells, Veil of Summer against the, the Black version. Uh, so, and meanwhile, when they were sideboarding against me, it's you know, it's whatever. Like, they're, most of them were Fae of Wishes decks, so they're not improving at all. And so even if I get crushed game one because I have this dead card, I just gain so much more advantage points that I'd, I'd be sacrificing in the mirror that I'm going to play 30% of the time. So definitely, if you're, if you're on the fence about Noxious Grasp, just, just play it because it's free. You'll play against Oko in a 10-round tournament something like four times, and you're going to get way punished in the mirror if you don't have it. And against the matchups where it's zero, you improve so much post it doesn't matter. I like that. Yeah, yeah one of the biggest secrets with Saltai is that uh, it has just the best sideboard because it has like the good black, the black cards like Massacre Girl that are super good against these go wide decks, uh, the Casualties of War, which is like a super good like mirror breaker, and then Veil of Summer is just one of the best cards ever printed. And basically every single matchup you get to swing so far post-board that even decks that Noxious Grasp, like Elliot said, aren't good against, you swing the matchup so far in your favor. It doesn't matter. And like most of the time, those decks aren't that good. And at the very least, you'll likely have time against them unless they're specifically mono-red. So like you'll have time to like draw your much better cards than they have. Um, for, for Isaac's tournament, is it the same format? Is it uh, I think the new set would come out by then, right? Uh, no, I think we're going to have a ban announcement. Oh, well, Oko will be banned, yeah. Yeah, I definitely hope so. I think the next set is usually early next year. That's why I think maybe it's the same format, right? Or Well, it'll be all new, car. It'll all be new when, when Oko gets banned. Right, right, right. Um, Isaac, what's, so what's, what's next for you for, for let's say, the, the next, I guess, the 20... Only a month, actually. So in terms of magic, uh, I guess you're going to wait on the band before you really prepped for the arena championship. But, but what else What you might be doing uh, in the next month before that happens, before we cheer you on live at the MC? Yeah. 
Uh, I don't think I want to be playing standard before <laughs> before bands. That makes sense. So uh, I might play some Pioneer. I haven't played a game in this format yet. So really excited about it. Maybe play some pulper events, which I play online sometimes. <laughs> but usually you're pretty, it sounds like you're pretty lax, relaxed and casual about, about magic, like you said. Yeah, because I graduated from college this summer. So I started focusing more on, I'm trying to find a job mm -hmm. and I spend less time playing magic. Okay. All right, we're, we're gonna let you go, but but any any shouts you wanna wanna give anybody you wanna thank or or name from your team, go right ahead. Yeah. I think I wanna shout out my teammates from Team Harry T. Uh, I had quite an unsuccessful year in terms of magic results before before last weekend, and if it wasn't for the gathering part of them, I don't know if I would still be playing magic at this point. So shout out to them. Sweet, sweet. Okay, thank, thank you so much, uh, Elliot. Any, any, any last question? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get Keith on while, while you guys talk, finish it off with Isaac. I have an important question, Isaac. Is why didn't you try harder to convince me to play Mono Blue at the Pro Tour we tested for? Why did you let me play Sultai? I wasn't, I wasn't sure myself. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even make day two. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <clears throat> and you did leave me in the hands of Detective Dollywall, so I get, I can't hold it against you. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, I I also like last minute was like Elliot, just play Sultai. Like stop stop stressing out about this. Wait, I don't get it. Are you blaming the detective or not? I'm gonna say that Sean convinced me to play Sultai, and it didn't go well. All right, all right. We'll leave that I don't know how much better it could have gone if I played something else. <laughs> Thank you so much, for, uh, Isaac, for coming on, and I hope you crush uh, the Arena Championship, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Isaac Krutz. Just uh, crushed the Arena Championship. Went 10 and 1 on day one, and then lost the first two i think everything resets on day two right andy and then like starting oh two it's like crap i'm in this hole and yeah. have to win four and then pray and, for breakers and hopes that well his tiebreakers were 10 and one right like virtual lock like he keeps so he keeps the breakers you, your breakers is how well how many wins you got on day one i think okay okay so that's pretty good that's pretty good um are you looking? Did you did you check out Car Carson's article? Do you care about the, the how the metagame broke down from from the arena championship? Yeah, I, I did check it out. It's just like with the like the small day two size of day two, like stuff like that's not that interesting to me because things like you'll see like the plus and minus of like some of the decks is like plus and or minus like twenty four percent, which just like completely changes the data. So like at le I don't know, it really didn't mean a lot to me. I'm glad he did it, but. All right, all right, gonna welcome back my man, my man, fellow content manager at facefacegames.com, because he had a hot take a few days ago. He had a hot take that MTG's fine. Chill, guys. Keith, Keith, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. That is, I guess, a hot take in, in, in today's time, for sure. How are you guys? I'm, I'm good, I'm good. It was great. I mean, Andy 
are, are you with the Twitter side? Or are you with Peef side? Is Magic fine, or or you, know, you agree with the with the whole uh, you know the sky is falling crowd? I don't I don't think the sky is falling basically ever. Even if I'm like tweeting, hey, they should ban Oko because I have knots in my stomach about like this upcoming pro tour and testing for it. <laughs> like it's true. Like I was like just so sick of it because it's just so oppressively powerful. But at the same time, like. It's better that I like. I assume it's better that this kind of stuff happens and they have to ban it than they just print boring cards all the time. So yeah. like this, in the end, is just going to keep yielding good results. It's like really hard to make cards, really, really hard, especially like flashy three mana planeswalkers yeah. that people are going to want to play. It's like, is this one too good? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. probably the best planeswalker of all time. <laughs> Which is just crazy because when you initially look at it, there's like. When the set comes out, there's no way you look at that look at that card and go, "This banned in, this could get banned in lots of formats." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Keith, you're you're pretty positive about the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not necessarily that I'm positive about standard per se. Like I, I'm I'm not stupid. Like I obviously, you know, I look at the results. I looked at the Mythic Championship deck list. You know, I understand um, like how oppressive the card is in standard. But I have been personally, at least re-energized about magic by just the sheer, like not only the power level of cards they're printing, but the willingness to, to try things like the Stoneforge unbanning, the war of the spark planeswalkers, Oko, um, you know, so like printing cards like Mox Amber, like zero mana artifacts, free spells, like we saw in modern horizons, like, I personally find, and I think this might just be like a, a kind of person-to-person -person dynamic sort of thing where people find value in different parts of Magic. Some people want a whole bunch of agency over their gameplay. Other people want a bunch of agency over their testing. And uh, some people just want to have fun. Some people care a lot about the art or the type of deck they're playing, that, that sort of thing. So for me, I like powerful cards. Like I like bantamly good cards. I think that it creates... You know, I, I personally think it creates some amount of interesting gameplay. I think trying to beat the best thing is fun. And I also think playing the best thing is fun. Um, and as, as far as eternal formats go, which I think if you're a, if you're a middle of the road magic player, you know, you play maybe the odd PT, you play a bunch of Grand Prix, you have, you know, fairly reasonable records, but you're not going anywhere fast. You know, you're a modern player primarily, right? Especially in Canada that like, the the face to face open series is just the biggest thing we have going on in in Canada. So like for me, I'm always intrigued by their ability to impact eternal formats with new sets, and I think they've done a better job of that in the last three sets than maybe the entire time I've ever played Magic. And I I would just rather see that. I'd rather see you know Hogak get banned in Modern and Ren and Six be oppressive in Legacy for some amount of time and Teferi and Narset being frustrating sometimes than uh, the alternative where, you know, you play against Delver of Secrets every round for the rest of your life or, you know, Splinter Twins the best deck for 10 years. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just – I mean, I, I understand the flaws and I definitely I'm, – I'm still of the opinion that Oko's too good in Standard right now. I'm not, like, out to lunch, but uh, – I am interested in, you know, the the dynamic between how good can threats be, how good can answers be, that sort of thing. 
Let, let's okay. So let's go straight. Let's have you talk about um, what you consider. What you tweeted out something that you're the most happy about in a while or or ever for competitive magic. Part of it was fractional invites and how you know if you they have they have a table under sidemagic.gg where if you top eight a GP thirty nine points you get fifty percent of fractional invites and yeah. and and whatever and and then if you get a hundred hundred percent of course uh, you get that invite. And I think that's got a lot of people happy because that sort of gives people like our man Shaheen Surani was looking for some, some, something to strive for, um, who isn't, you know, going to be an MPL guy. So that was like, he's like, yes. And, and yeah, um, tell me your, your reaction to all this. Okay. So as, as far as the invite thing goes, I, I do stand pretty closely with what I said. I, I, I think, you know, when I was playing more, when I was traveling more, uh, this was something like I hoped for for a long time. Uh, the fact is, y- there isn't very many feel bads with this system. Um, I think the first thing to clarify is that you know there were a lot of people talking about you know how does this compare to pro points? Isn't this the same as pro points? And uh, I think to an extent it is. You know, there's still seasons more or less, or cycles, or whatever you want to call them. And uh, you're still tracking your progression that leads up to an invite, that kind of thing. And I think that's fine. I think it's fine to have the goal being invites. But from my perspective, I think what it does is it creates, uh, it makes it a lot easier to be the kind of player that I personally want to be. Like, and and I think maybe that's why I'm so stoked about it is like, it, it creates a system where if you can chain two PT invites together, two players to invites together, there's a real opportunity for you to just keep playing them for as long as you want. You know, if you're testing well, your finishes are reasonable. I, I could, it's, I could very easily see a world in which chaining those are, is not difficult, which I think is a huge boon, right? Because previously under the old system, what you had was the ability to get gold or platinum, which allowed for, you know, your lifestyle to be magic or the ability to get silver or bronze. And then, you know, you could maybe chain a couple invites, but for the most part, going to the pro tour was kind of like a vacation or a goal met, but not necessarily a lifestyle change. What I see now is potentially the opportunity to be the kind of player that plays players tour events, that focuses on competitive magic, that stays up to date with the metagame, that plays tournaments, but also carries on their normal life. And I I, I see, you know, I think a lot of us, I I mean, Andy and Elliot, from what I understand, you guys are similar people. You know, you, you have, other goals and, and, you know, you, you have, you, you love magic, but I mean, you don't want to give everything you have to it. And I think this makes that kind of lifestyle a lot more realistic. I, I actually made a joke right after the announcement, which I think you'll appreciate is that this announcement is potentially the, either the best or worst thing to ever happen to Daniel Fournier, because I don't think he, I literally don't think he ever would have missed a pro tour if, uh, if this system was in place and I honestly have no idea whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So that's kind of my take. I I just like the idea that you could just be a grinder for the fun of it. Like play consistently play meaningful matches of magic without it being your career, which I think is, is like honestly an incredible achievement as so long as that it works out. Yeah, I think if you contrast this to the system we had before they introduced the quarter system, so like going back two years, mm-hmm. where gold was 30 points or something like that, and it locked you up for this year and the next, that was like incredibly hard to hit. You needed to spike multiple tournaments in order to hit gold, but then the rewards were insane. You were getting appearance fees for tournaments. You were getting eight pro tour invites. Mm-hmm. And 
and you like switch it to this system now and it's way easier to get like entry into it and you still need to like maintain good finishes over the course of two years if you're going to play eight pro tours now except just getting into it is so easy that people are going to have gone from never playing a pro tour probably to like accidentally playing two in a row or something like that i i, I know that you know, a lot of people have been dredging up like bad beats of, oh, if this system was in place in the past. Mine is, if you go back exactly one year and put this system in place, I would have had 120% in the War of the Spark window. So I would have gone, I would have played two Pro Tours in a row between Ravnica Allegiance and War of the Spark. And then who knows from there? Who knows? Maybe, maybe I, in this alternate reality where the system goes in place a year earlier, I've played every Pro Tour since then. Probably not. But like, that's how easily accessible it is. Instead of playing War of the Spark, like I would have in this system, I got almost bronze. And then at the Pro Tour, I picked up bronze, which, which was a fat zip. I got nothing from bronze. So I think this is really incredible for like the mid-level grinders, the ones that are going to be playing, I don't know, seven or eight GPs a year. And maybe, maybe you fly to the 10th the one if you have a good finish and, and need to lock up another 10 or 25% for a Pro Tour invite. So this is... This is awesome in my perspective. I, I tweeted out that I might fly to Austin because it's the first the first uh, Grand Prix that this has a new prize structure or this new uh, the new system in place. Yeah, uh, I'd just like to add that like I also think uh, like from a strictly like cold corporate perspective, this adds a lot of uh, like random incentives to players that Watsi and CFB are gonna like. Like the reality is. is you know, if you 12-3 the first Grand Prix you play in a, in a season, like, you're way more likely to spend money on flights. Like, e even me. Like, even someone who is, is, like, you know, interested in playing but, like, has a lot going on in their life. If I 12-3 the first Grand Prix of the season, I'm going to the rest of them. I, like, it, it's just hard not to. Like, if you 11-4-2 of them, you know, I, I think that's 100%. It might be 90%. But, yeah. Yeah, like, if you 11-4 uh, – if you 11-4 four, four GPs in, in two cycles, you, you get a Pro Tour invite. And then if you do well at the Pro Tour, it's trivial to chain that chain that invite. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I just can't. For people like, for people like us, I, I just can't imagine, like, a, a better reward system, for sure. Certainly yeah. when they when they first announced the, the Grand Prix structure, the Grand Prix schedule upcoming, you know, seven hours drive is typically my range for where I'll go. And there were three Grand Prix in that, in that range. If I, you know, if I decide to fly to Austin and I and I have a good result there, all of a sudden, you know, I'll go to Detroit. Detroit's nine hours. I'll I'll suffer it. I'll I'll play another GP or two. So this is like, it's just really awesome for me. And I think a lot of people are in my position. Yeah, it's like a, it's like we kind of have like a super silver now, right? That's a lot easier to obtain. Like while the PTs themselves are like not the same as the PTs before. I think you're going to feel the same. You're going to get the same like uh, emotional utility out of the pro tour that you would before. while it not being like as costly or uh, I guess you could say as difficult or prestigious, whatever word you want to put on it. I still think you as a person are going to feel the same way about it virtually. So I think uh, we got, we basically, when they announced this fractional invite, I was like, if they get this right, this could be, the best thing to happen to competitive magic. But honestly, I was like, ah, oh, it's pr probably not going to get it right or like get it to the point where it's so good. And holy crap, it felt like they, they nailed it. Like it, it, the, 
what's going to happen when PTQs and like SCGs get stapled onto this? Like, I wonder how many players are going to qualify for these things. It's definitely, definitely interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 it's like obviously another great point is, is that, you know, a part of the sort of, you know, mid-level grinder lifestyle has been playing PTQs and face-to-face opens and Star City Games events. And the fact that those are now going to contribute to, you know, a larger overarching goal, uh, I think just further incentivize playing, makes it easier to test, like all of those things. I think it, I think it just makes everything feel a little bit better because in the past, things just felt like pretty unattainable without, uh, without like an exemplary finish. Yeah, like... Uh... I don't, I don't think I'm like an exceptional player by any means, but like the thought of me hitting silver was just so far out of like reach that I could like reasonably ob- obtain without like double spiking or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like now, like I, I could see myself chaining like four of these in a row. I yeah. could. Yeah. It's very realistic. Keep, keep, what, what are you working on in terms of uh, the different formats? I, I know you're, you're, always brewing, but, but what's your focus on and, and what do you like in, in the formats that you're working on? Well, right now, actually, um, I've been playing Pioneer because uh, the SCG Invitational got changed to Pioneer today. And, uh, you know, obviously, I always test with Edgar and Dilks uh, and Dara Ayers is like an, another guy from the States that I play with all the time, writer for face-to-face games. Um, and... Uh, so that, that got changed today and they're all preparing for the invitational. So I, I've just been playing pioneer, um, trying to help, you know, Edgar get ready. Uh, he, he has like a lot riding on his invitational finish. So I want to make sure that we cover all our bases. I, I've been, I've obviously been try, trying to cast thoughtsies in every way that I possibly can in pioneer. So, uh, that's kind of like where I started. I think it's a pretty interesting format to tackle because, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know how everyone always had the turn four rule for modern? Well, I think this is kind of, uh, it's kind of like a better version of that. It kind of feels like Jun the format. Like even the combo decks are all built, built around like uh, like fair mid-range creatures that have combo finishes or whatever. And I, I actually personally, this might be a, a little bit kind of, you know, in the weeds, but I find that, it, that what's interesting is that the colors that have combos, like, you know, the colors that get to play Saheeli, Rai, and Felidar Guardian also are forced to play much less efficient cards. So you have this cool juxtaposition where if you want to be a hyper-efficient deck, uh, you, you have to, you know, sacrifice your ability to win the game quickly. But if you want to be a combo deck, you have to have a way to to sort of have a plan for, you know, decks that play Thoughtseize and Fatal Push because you're paying two mana for, this, for similar effects, which I think creates a, a really cool dynamic. I'm so glad the fetches are banned and like mana bases are like yeah kind of bad yeah like, yeah in the grand scheme of things and it's just it makes the format so much better it really does like even like shuffling aside yeah the format is so much better because the fetch lands aren't there to just like make every mana base easy peasy yeah and it's not even just mana bases like uh I think like a lot of the look like the fact is a lot of the highest power level cards and power level effects in magic rely heavily on your graveyard. Like delve is, is nerfed a lot in the format, which makes it actually unique and not just incredibly broken. And like fatal push is nerfed a little bit. You know, you have to like, 
you have to play fairly elegantly to make sure that you have revolt for the right creatures, that sort of thing. Like, it's just not trivial. Getting delirium is not trivial. You have to, you know, gather a search artifact or like, you know, keep your fabled passages uncracked and that kind of thing. So I personally uh, have had a lot of fun with it. It's obviously in, in the short going. I know there was a, there was a side event at the face-to-face opens in both Quebec city and uh, Toronto or Hamilton this weekend uh, where people were playing a lot of cat combo, a lot of prowess decks, a lot of monastery swift spear. Um, so I'm really interested to see like kind of where it goes. And um, you know, there seems to be, there's going to be prize support and like real Grand Prix. And, you know, it looks like based on the schedule that it might be a pro tour coming up. So I'm stoked. It's cool. I, I think it's sick that they just came out and were like, yeah, there's a new format. Also there's Grand Prix. I like, I think that's how you make a format. You say there's a new format. Also there's pro tour invites on the line. And then, and then people actually care, you know? I like that. Uh, you made a good point about all these combo decks. Like my initial thought is I look at all these decks. I'm like, wow, these decks seem busted. These decks are going to be busted. And then you start getting to like the 45th through 60th cards. You're like, Oh God. Yeah. Oh yeah. What am I going to play? <laughs> like yeah. teamer, like uh, Marvel is one of the first ones like that. You're like, well, this is just a block deck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have all these energy cards and this is, this is what I find most interesting about the format is, is like deck building is like, okay, let me sort by one mana cards and then go from there because outside of literally the color black, it is very, very hard to, to put cheap cards in your deck. Like, you know, people are playing all these, uh, all these Sahili decks, they all, or Marvel decks. They all have like, you know, six mana accelerants and 12, three drops. And it's like, if they just like fatal push your guy and then thoughts sees you, you're dead. <laughs> like it, it, it's just, uh, it's just such a, I think a really interesting deck building dynamic to figure out like, you know, what are the efficient cards? Cause there's always going to be pillars of these formats. And uh, I think, you know, figuring that kind of stuff out is, is actually a really cool mystery for the format. I also like that. They uh, like initially just said like, just the fetches are banned, figure it out. Yeah. And then, like uh, once the, like, it's pretty cool because the hive mind can solve things pretty quickly when given like really real incentives. Mm-hmm. So like just letting the hive mind at it and then like ban as necessary for like the first, I don't know, six months or a year. I don't know how long that part, what part will last. Yeah. But that's a really efficient way to go about it. Cause like people are really going to want to push these decks. You're like, I want to have the most busted deck because they're letting me have it. Yeah. And so people are really going to push to, to build the kind of decks that will, could and might get banned eventually. And it's a good yeah. way to kind of figure that stuff out. Yeah, actually, I think it actually kind of contributes to my original point about like powerful cards. I, I would just like, I am, and this is, I, I know this is not something that is, you know, universally held opinion, but I am of the opinion that I would rather them ban cards and formats move quickly and get solved and then, you know, be fresh than uh, them print lower power level cards, never ban and have stale formats. I, I completely understand the other perspective. I, I, I think like bannings can be very costly. Unbannings can be also very costly. So I like, I get that perspective, but as someone who is just like kind of constantly intrigued by the game and, and the, the puzzle and trying to solve it, I think, uh, I think things like this where they're like, yeah, if something's broken, we'll ban it. I just, I just like that, you know, playing Hogak for, you know, like two months and then it getting banned was sick. I like, that was cool. All right, Keith, uh, what's, 
I mean, I think I read not long ago, like, uh, what term was it? Because you're working with Edgar, where he tweeted out, like, the pressure was getting to him. Can you uh, oh, Edgar? give us an insight on that? Look, Edgar is kind of it, like the, the SEG Tour thing. Um, the way that their point system works, it really puts, makes like kind of puts you down to the wire. It's not like the old GP system. You have to go to every event. You have to perform at every event. And, um, you know, he's kind of put in a position now where he's competing with a lot of good players and he has to put up num- results every, every week. And uh, I remember, yeah, he tweeted like after Indy that he had a rough go and, and that it was hard on him. And then, like the the, I, and I guess the best way I can explain it is that the two people behind him on the leaderboard both top aided back to back events, which put them ahead of him. And then obviously Edgar came back last weekend and just cold blooded top aided the tournament. So I mean he's like right back in the thick of things. I think inside the bubble now. So I mean, it, for me, like uh, this is kind of part of the reason why you know why you do it, why you play all the time is like you know testing with your friends and uh you know i i, I kind of get as much out of watching edgar win and helping him test and hanging out with him uh as i do playing events myself so uh yeah i think he's kind of over the pressure now he's just trying to chalk up some w's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really nice to hear yeah. uh, elliot any any questions for Keith before we let him go i think we tackled it all talking about the organized play thing i'm just super so super hyped for that and like Usually one of my metrics of, of when they have these announcements is what Twitter's like. And Keith was like right there reaffirming everything I thought about it. So it was, I, yeah. I it. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Keith. Uh, anything else, anything else that you want to shout out or, or talk about what you're, you might be working on? Um, well, I mean, if you guys are interested in pioneer decks, we got, I got some pioneer com- content coming on magic.facefacegames.com. Pete Ingram wrote an article this week about, you know, the kind of the most broken cards and like what, where to go first for like trying to break it. And I know Fournier is going to, he's planning on, on, on doing some writing about the format as well. So I would look out for that. Um, as for me, I'll be writing. I, I actually, I, w- one spoiler, I'm going to write an article. Uh, I played SCG Indy a couple weeks back uh, on, on no testing with Amulet Titan as, as like a, like an experiment, like 15 rounds of Amulet Titan on no testing. So I'm going to write like a, a kind of like a, like narrative about what it's like to play the hardest deck in, in history on uh, on no testing at all. So <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure that will be at least funny to some amount of people if you know me at all. And uh, yeah, other than that, going to, you know, keep getting, being on YouTube and doing that and hopefully, uh, hopefully creating some content as I'm known to do. All right. Thanks for coming on, Keith. And, of course, and man. I, yeah, thanks. It's Keith Capstick, fellow digital content manager for magic.facefacegames.com. And left me uh, in, a, in a positive, I, I felt really positive and pumped by, by that discussion between you guys, Andy. I mean, I, I'm looking back at you know, that year where I actually were, was able to accrue pro points, but they meant nothing other than maybe bragging rights amongst like the fellow GP grinder uh, at the store, but like they didn't. Yeah, I had like a streak where I cashed like five Grand Prix in six weekends, and like now I'd be in, I'd be gold, baby. <laughs> um, I think I think some people like, like I mentioned this before because I think it's a 
not a popular opinion among us, but I've had like a friend who felt who didn't like these that felt like it was like dumbing down the system or or were just like giving too many invites. But I guess none of us feel that way. I think magic well, like is, go ahead. I think people have this like misconception or maybe it's not a misconception, but people like a lot of people are worried that like the new pro tour is not going to feel like the old pro tour. But I think. I've discussed this many times is I think like the emotional utility or the emotional value you're going to get from going to a pro tour. I think that is still going to be there enough that it like supersedes the fact that it's not quite the same. And I think it is going to be easy to qualify for like easy to qualify for. And uh, I, I really can't wait to see how many people qualify because is it going to be like 500 per like regional one? That's like 2000 players worldwide. Cause there's four of them happening at the same time. I'm not sure. And uh, I look forward to finding out if it ends up being like anywhere in the range of like three to 600, I think that's fine. And they don't even really need to mess with it too much. I think that's like an ideal amount of players. So I hope it sticks within that range. I hope it doesn't just crush it. It's like a thousand players each. And then they have to go, well, we can't keep doing this. Right, I'm trying to, yeah, I, I hope so. I'm trying to get our last guest in, Nam Dang, uh, champion of uh, face-to-face games. Uh, I think, I believe it's either Vancouver or Victoria Open. Just finished second at Pioneer Challenge. And same as like you guys were telling, were hyping to me about Sean Dollywall, um, D-Root hyping about Isaac, I mean, Mr. Mr. Final Nub, that actually that we hyped. Now he's hyping this guy, uh, Nam Dang, as I guess an up-and-comer or one of the better players in the local area. Um, Nam, are, are you with us? Welcome to the show, Nam. I was just talking about how hyped Final Nub was about you, kept yeah. telling me about you, and I'm like, and then like he's like, man, look, he just finished second challenge, and then you keep snubbing him. I'm like, I'm not snubbing him, <laughs> John. I just like I just bring people when I'm when I know them or met them or I feel comfortable. I've said this on the show. I'm not like this like super open, non shy guy, but uh, great to have you on. And now, final enough can get off my back. Yeah. Congratulations on winning. Uh, well, I actually congratulated you, uh, but I realized on, privately on, on Facebook when you took down a face to face game to open. Yeah. Super happy to see you do that, and then you you finished second in the first I guess ever MTGO Pioneer Challenge. So just, just I think you're one of the best people right now to introduce us, introduce us to the Pioneer format. So, so how's it looking in, in the Pioneer streets, as I would like to say? Uh, so from what I've seen in like the leagues and the challenge, the format's pretty grindy, I'd say. Like mid-range is probably one of the best like archetypes, I would say, in the Pioneer. Saltai obviously being really strong, having access to like Oko, Dig Through Time, as well as Thoughtseize. So that's pretty strong. It, cr- it beats up on like the cat combo, beats up on like other combo decks. So that's kind of suppressing the cat combo from prevailing right now. Um, Keith, Keith was just on like, we, we did it spur of the moment, tried to introduce, what was Toronto's idea, introduce free scheduled Pioneer on, on uh, this past Sunday in I believe Hamilton, Quebec City. And uh, he mentioned that there was some amount of cat combo. Uh, what did you finish second with? I played uh, Blue Red Phoenix. How, 
how's that deck in the format? I'd say it's pretty good. It's uh, obviously like Saltar is pretty hard to beat, but it has a really good, uh, the way I tuned the deck, it's really good against the cat combo having four lightning axes main. So that's pretty good to kill the cat as well as wild slash to kill Sahili if they try to combo off. So I have two different ways to answer the combo. And it's pretty hard to, for them to deal with the Phoenix. Hmm. And so, so you're still jamming that over the past couple of days, or? Yeah. I'm looking to like, I'm just looking to tune the deck a bit. All right. Um, so has it changed much from the list that I guess we can see online? Yeah. Uh, the main deck has stayed for now. I'm making some adjustments in the sideboard. I want more fries in the board, as I think Narciss is going to become more popular. And I'm not entirely sure if I like the counter spells in this side. So stuff like Spell Pierce or Mystical Disputes, I found them like a bit awkward at times, especially when I'm trying to bring back Phoenix. So having that, like I might be changing up that slot a bit. Well, Elliot, has there been much uh, Pioneer Cabal uh, discussion? Have you been active in those discussions at all? Yeah, I've been talking to a bunch of people about it, and, and people are really all over the place. I know that when the format first started, I was definitely on the side of being the combo deck fun police. But as things are kind of progressing, I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of mid-range for some reason. And I, I, I can't exactly explain why, but Thoughtseize is just such an attractive card when people are playing these unrefined decks. And I thought it would be actually be the opposite, where when people are doing uh, maybe less less tuned, less refined things, I'd want to be just killing them on turn four. But it turns out that this combo deck, this cat deck's like really hard to build because, you know, it's something that Keith actually mentioned in terms of these black and green cards or Saltai for years have been super streamlined of always doing the same thing, of interacting with your opponent, killing the creatures, casting discard spells. So we have a lot of redundancy to have like a central game plan. But if you look at, you know, where Jeskai's been the past four years, none of it overlaps with what cat combo was doing for that six months. So it's like super hard to build some of these decks. And maybe this is something where a month from now cat combo is the best deck. But if you, I think for the pioneer challenges weekend, for example, you probably want to be playing Saltai or maybe like a four color mid range deck and just be playing Thoughtseize. Uh, now, how, how often do you talk to our man final now? Like, is he, do you know what he's brewing at all? Is, does anybody know? Uh, so I was talking to him yesterday, and he's trying to do some, some nonsense with Neoform right now. Oh, oh, God. Yeah, so he's still trying to break Neoform in Pioneer, even without Grizzlebrand. So Cards like Kigugo, he was mentioning how he went, like, turn one, Tome Scour, turn two, Tassiger, turn three, Neoform your Tassiger. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I think he mentioned, I don't know, he was tweeting how, like, he found, did he say he found Pioneer Boggles? Yep, Boggles is uh, definitely a pretty good deck right now. You have access to Slippery Boggle, uh, the two mana, two one with Hexproof and Reach, as well as Watson Pot in time to help find uh, your creatures. He, he tweeted an image of Plated Crusher. <laughs> What's that about? Triple green. It's the best Boggle. Triple green, four colorless, so seven mana cost, seven six, Trample, Hexproof, with the text, with his tweet, this is a pioneer playable card right now. Thinking emoji. Yep, definitely could uh, Neoform Tassiger into the Plated Crusher. 
<laughs> so yeah, he's definitely come up with some nonsense. All right, all right. Um, so, so what have you been preparing for uh, over the past, you know, a couple of weeks? I know, I imagine you're going to be playing. Hopefully, the Vancouver Open Plus that's coming on December seventh, uh, or no? Yep, I'm currently planning to play that. Unless, like, uh, I know it's also like an M, like a WPN. So I'm not sure if, like, say if I were to qualify for that player's tour, if I could still play in that. But currently, I'm testing standard for MC Richmond right now. Okay. Um, you had you had a previous – so have you touched the modern format now? I'm, I'm pulling it up, and, and you had last one, the Vancouver Open with Titan Shift at, yep. in January, earlier in the year. So have you touched the, the, the modern format since then uh, much at all? Uh, so I played during – like, I played a lot during Hogak. Uh, I was able to top eight Vegas there. And then currently, I haven't been playing that much modern. I played the PTQ last week with Eldrazi Tron. I think Eldrazi Tron is very well positioned. I was able to finish 7-2 in that uh, PTQ. And I know as well, Yamakilla won the challenge with Eldrazi Tron. So that's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the WPN thing. So like the, the Open Plus is if you win, you qualify for the Players Tour. Yeah. Um, the first one. And what did you mean? Like if you were to already be qualified, basically? So, uh, so like the way the MCQ, well, the previous like MCQ PTQ system worked was that if you're already qualified for that players tour, you're not allowed to play in like the uh, PTQs leading up to it. Hmm. That is a, that is a good question that I didn't come across myself. And I have to double check, which would absolutely suck if you can't play the open yeah. plus. But uh, are you already qualified, and and how? Uh, I'm not qualified yet, but I'm hoping Could to be qualified right. for um, doing well at this upcoming Mythic Championship. All right. Um, and, and he's here is pretty late. It just seems like he's 99% on Soltai. How hard is it for you to prepare uh, for standard right now with with you know, food everywhere and everything? What's your current thoughts? Uh, so yeah, Soltai is definitely one of the best decks. I'm currently trying uh, Simic Ramp. Uh, a friend of mine who's local in Vancouver finished 14th in the arena qualifier uh, this past weekend, and he thinks that the Bant Simic version, Bant Simic ramp deck is pretty well positioned with mass manipulation. I think that card is very good. Obviously, not that good against Veil of Summer, but if your opponent is bringing in Veil of Summer, you have other ways to counteract either going uh, attacking with Nissa or like making big Hydro Crisis, that kind of stuff. Elliot, was this. Was that a skeptical look on your face, or were you reacting to something else? Uh, it was a skeptical look. I've, <laughs> I've I played Bant Ramp in the past, like previous standard formats, and like after Veil of Summer was legal, and after like a bit of testing and talking to people, it, it almost felt like mass manipulation wasn't even playable. And this is in a field where we weren't expecting green decks to be, I don't know, let's say sixty percent of the meta, like it might be at the Pro Tour. So I think we, we ended up settling on, on the white finale instead. And I, I'm not necessarily advocating for that now. It's more so that the fact that we settled in the white finale is an indication that the deck's probably awful. Um, but I, I think, like, the, the factor for me here is that you described your backup plan against Veil of Summer decks as just exactly what the food decks are already doing. 
And it sounds like they might be doing it better than you because they're also going to be playing interaction for your dorks, which is something that the ramp decks are really lacking. And, you know, we, we also had Isaac going on. It's like unfair to you that we're hitting, we're hitting you with all the, what the previous guests said, but you know, like I, I think that noxious grasp is just infinitely better in these mirrors than Teferi. And I would advocate for playing Saltai over Bant for those reasons. I think Teferi just kind of sucks right now. Uh, yeah, I also agree that Teferi kind of sucks, so, which is why I'm I'm currently testing a straight uh, blue-green version of the deck, but I'm still like, I'm still testing. I haven't touched Saltite that much, so depending on how my testing with blue-green goes, I might just end up defaulting to Saltai and see how that goes for it the next few days. Yeah, we've had this exact like this exact like uh, crux has been like a big topic in our in the Pro Tour testing group. Basically, like mass manipulation is definitely better in the mirror, but it's harder to cast, and uh, that's kind of one of the reasons I just default to to Saltai being better because Noxious Grasp is like it's certainly worse in the mirror but it's just so low cost and so much easier to cast. And when you start hitting like the mana creatures, then you pull ahead so fast that like, even if they steal one thing for six mana, it's not, it's not that bad. And I, my biggest problem is the, the four blue. I get stuck on double black in Saltai. I get stuck on mana as it is. And I, the last thing I want to do is to play a four blue mana card. But, uh, Maybe it ends up being what you have to do to contort yourself to uh, <laughs> to beat the mirror. Contort. I I love that card, but I haven't played this format. Good old mass manipulation, arboreal grazer. Good times. <laughs> arboreal grazer is not a great card when like your land doesn't make free two twos, but or like you can just skip. Yeah. <laughs> I love the little little rascal, but there's like it doesn't even really block anything right now. Um, no, no, I, sh I should have started with this um, to to just get to know you more. Um, how where are you at in terms of uh, competitive magic, like right now? Your aspirations to make it to like players tour is this the first time? Is this your first qualifications for that? Uh, like like at Richmond, or had you made the pro tour previously? I don't know if you can give me a brief summary. Yeah, uh, this is going to be my first players tour. So I've been kind of trying like on and off for the past year or two, trying to make it to the pro tour, uh, grinding the local scene, playing some qualifiers online. And then going into Vegas, I wasn't really expecting to do well. And then I've played the Holgak deck before, like pre uh, Bridge from Below band. And then I was it was pretty easy for me to pick up since I was a... I already had experience with all the sequencing, all the interactions with the deck. And yeah, I was able to do really well at uh, GP Vegas and now I'm qualified for my first Pro Tour. Sweet. Um, man, who are some of the more uh, known players or people we might know are good players that, that you get the chance to play with in, in the local area? Uh, so in the local area, I'm, so final nub, uh, Marcus is also from the area. Uh, there's a bunch of the older grinders who aren't really uh, on the pro tour anymore, but was definitely very successful successful in the past. So I was able to like 
play against them. They definitely taught me a lot about the game. Uh, some of the younger crowd, I know you might have known Toby. He is also from the area, so I play with him a lot. So yeah, our local scene in Vancouver is pretty strong, I'd say. And it's very good to help develop in the game. Okay, so yeah, he, he top aided GP Calgary when I was there. Uh, does, does John Sturton make an appearance here and there? Or? Uh, I've seen John Sturton around, but I haven't seen him play. <laughs> like, he's just like, he's just there at the event. Searching for, trying to find free Wi-Fi, right, Andy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> trying to find free Wi-Fi, like jotting down like notes in his notebook. <laughs> he's, a, he's a guy, I think, um, that would, I mean, he had a system. He, he was one of those people were at the PTA, you know, at access to a Google Drive doc, player name, deck archetype. He was scanning the whole room, baby. <laughs> Elliot? Yeah, I mean, you'd hear John Stern's bones rattling before you saw him in the tournament, but it's good, it's good to hear that he's still making it out sometimes. I, I saw he tweeted that recently he just read Oko for the first time. So oh, that, yeah. was, that was a good one. <laughs> He's, he's, the, a, he's the least talented player to ever play Magic, but he sure does a lot of work. <laughs> I, hope, I hope he listens to this part. Um, so what was the general feel? I mean, this is obviously a joke question for you, Nam. What's, what's the general feel of, uh, of Warren Smith? He's just a, a crazy brewer or actually has some amount of talent? Uh, I say he has some amount of talent, yeah. I've definitely worked, with Dex, uh, worked on decks with him in the past. We generally like to play the same type of deck. We'll be using like, the Graveyard, uh, Faithless Looting, as well as playing the Mono Red Prowess deck. All right. I, I love that guy. Always, always post. I, I keep telling him you should just like video record himself or something. If he's posting these brews, always tagging Jerry T and stuff like that. Come on, let's 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 see see more videos out there. Um, yeah, I know he's a. Him. Oh, sorry. I know he's a huge fan of the uh, blue-red Electrodominus living in deck. <laughs> Does that have potential? Uh, it would. It's seen some success, but I no. I don't think it's a tier one deck, but definitely get your opponent sometimes. All right. We'll we'll wrap up the show. Um, I mean, I, you mentioned with me to me that you've heard that I'm obsessed with teamfight tactics, and how how much do you like the game? Uh, so like. In the past, like, two to three weeks, I've been playing a lot of the game. Uh, this patch kind of sucked for me. But, yeah, I've been playing a lot of the game. I mean, I, I think – I don't know how they're going to – again, I think my issue with this type of game is once once people solve the meta and they just post how to do it, people can replicate it pretty easily. And, and I think – I'm not sure how much room there is for, for skill once people solve it. So, yeah. I've definitely just like gone on Reddit and see, oh, like Brawler Jinx is the best comp right now. And I forced that every game and I was able to climb to like Diamond because of that. Right. So that, that's what my worry with this, this type of game and archetype. Like I, I think it was really addictive at the beginning, but once people like I, I did it, like you know, I just copied the Reddit thing. It's not like MTG draft where I actually feel even if you knew all the archetypes, you would still get owned by someone who was better than you. Yeah. Well, draft is like pretty self-correcting because like the second like black becomes the best color, then there's too many people playing black, and then all of a sudden, even though green's bad, you're the only guy there or only girl there drafting green. So all of a sudden, your deck's insane. 
Right, I agree with that. It's just funny that in, in, I feel in this type of game, this other type of game, the, the self-correction is not as effective, which is why it just leans to more, I don't know, bl bland uh, games. Once well, in, in Magic, if you get like all the good green cards, you're going to have a really good deck. But like in TFT, if you get like all of like a certain faction or whatever they're called, it, like your, your your comp might not actually be that good anyway. You might lose to like the guy with like a couple pieces of the best comp. Yeah. <laughs> like the three people running the same thing versus like the one person who's like got it all of the, the bad thing. You're still just going to lose. Yeah. And depending on what the exact configuration of what like the top tier thing is, like if you only need a, a few different groups and you need like two of each of them or something like that it's so much harder to get cut than in magic where like if you're if you say i'm forcing green black or whatever and you get cut on black your deck's atrocious you can just spam the rule button in tft and it's like they feed it to you <laughs> you can't miss yeah you definitely need to force one of like the best comps in order to win you can't it's very hard to win with like one of the weaker comps yeah so this is why this is so this is I'll end this with this like as a as a plus one to magic basically where I still feel more rewarded when I when I play a great game of magic but in TFT once the patches latest patch has been out for a few days and I win I know it's just because I'm I know how to force something better than the other person it's not I'm not out thinking the opponent uh, thanks for coming on Nam um, Elliot Andy always a pleasure. And uh, good luck. Hopefully you can play. I'll double check on the Open Plus. Hopefully you can play that. And hopefully you uh, find the best deck, Richmond, this week and able to test it and, and grind to a qualification next year. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. That was Namdang. Kick him out. And the rest of us, it, it was a pleasure. Hopefully uh, Patrick Mahomes returns to the field. This Sunday, I don't think he is going to, but uh, I'm hopeful. I'm at, I think only Elliot, you're the only one who's on the same boat as me. He has the same voice. Oh, it's so uncanny. No, he, he definitely does. Okay, okay. <laughs> I want to play like back to back. <laughs> who who was that? I, I, when you when you asked me to ask Keith a question, I was gonna ask him <laughs> to just like, could you just tell me like if you were gonna throw a deep ball, how you would do it? Just. <laughs> You should just in the in the edit just ask him the question about Pioneer and then just like cut to a Patrick Mahomes interview. <laughs> when are you coming back, Keith? When are you coming? When are you coming back to the field? The real question, Carr, is: Are my Baltimore Football Ravens going to beat the Patriots this weekend? Absolutely not. That is. Uh... Is that the best team the Patriots will face this year? That's gonna be that's a marquee they got, matchup. They got Lamar Action Jackson, baby. That's the, a marquee well, matchup. The best the running be back in the league. The best team the Patriots have played so far is the Bills. So I think pretty much any team they play against you is mean the AFC, best team. The AFC juggernaut Buffalo Bills, yeah. Yeah. It is crazy though. I think this is the year where you're just like I don't remember people having such easy schedules where you can really say there's only a very small percentage of elite teams. Well, a bunch of teams got bad real fast. Yeah. Like, look at, like, the Bengals were never great, but they're they're awful. <laughs> I, I remember, like, 10 years ago when the Dolphins went, I think they started 0-15 the, the year the Patriots went undefeated, and it was, like, like unprecedented almost. Like, it was, like, week seven, and people were like, is it possible for them to keep losing? And now yeah. it's just like we have multiple winless teams and like no one can do anything.
Yeah, there's only, I think, less than a handful of elite teams, like the 49ers, the Patriots, people viewing, like, the Packers are up there, but they, I think they have huge holes, and then well, the they Ravens got, are they up got there. the man. Aaron Rodgers. The got the He's a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the Packers are going to be insane next year. So they're going to sign Usain Bolt. <laughs> he said it was the only team he'd play for. Better uh, if only. His, his soccer career was very short-lived, and if only he had talent in, in other games. But all he has to do is run in a straight line. <laughs> you know what? It's so, like they, they did a thing, and he like couldn't catch the ball behind him. Like He couldn't do it. He'll figure it the out. Shoulder. He was wasn't he actually trying out as a wide receiver? I believe he did like some drills for like a TV <laughs> show, and it was not good. Well, I know like where this where this started from is apparently a bunch of teams tried to get him to like come try out, and he just had no interest. And then he said the one team he'd do it for is is Green Bay. All right. Maybe some Aaron Rodgers connections. Okay, with that, we'll end the show. Thank you all for listening and catch us all next week. And hopefully by then, Andy has solidified his – he knows his deck type, but hopefully he finalizes 75 and feels confident heading into Richmond. All right, bye, everyone.